1: Welcome to Wood Talk, for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who take big pieces of wood and make them smaller. Mark, Matt, and Shannon.
2: All right, welcome to Wood Talk number 281 for November 2nd, 2015, On today's show, we're talking about a durable kitchen table finish, sanding curves, sharpening a saw, and, a little bonus topic here, our favorite shop gear that has nothing to do with woodworking. All that and more coming up, but first, let's thank someone special, Josh Meyer. Josh went to our website and signed up for, I don't know if it was a recurring donation or a single one-time donation. Either way, we appreciate it, Josh. Thank you very much, and if you want to do that too, head to woodtalkshow.com, look over in a side column for the donation links, and you could help keep this show running. Keep us happy. Keep Matt in his sweet tacos. That's
3: right. You know They do not pay for themselves, Mm -mm. even though I ask them to, and they're always like, no.
2: No, you've already had your fifth, For not
3: playing along with me.
2: You get your tenth free. I hear Google's working
3: on that right after the self-driving
2: car (laughs) and the (laughs) self-paying taco. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. And while you're at woodtalkshow.com, go to the giveaway page and uh, get in the running to get yourself a nice free t-shirt, which is always nice. Uh, You know what
3: would be really great is if they had a taco that picked up after itself. You ever have those? They spill all over the place. You're like, what am I going to do with that? I guess I'll have another taco to try and fix that issue.
2: That's what dogs are for.
3: Or just, I just take the plate and shove it in my mouth. Not the plate, but the
2: food. (laughs) It'll put the plate in your mouth. It's not digestible. (laughs) All right. uh, Let's move into what's on the bench. For me, I've... Moving along with the table project, but getting ready for the veneer, and I, I mentioned it last time that I'm, uh, haven't done veneering like this in a while, so I'm kind of hesitant to pull the trigger and start making those veneer cuts. But just family stuff going on, I haven't really been able to to dive right into it. But I will complain a little bit about shipping companies. This has nothing to do with the gaming table project. So I've got uh, Powermatic's new drum sander is uh, being sent to me, and this is kind of like you know. The whole play the smallest violin in the world for someone to complain (laughs) about this sort of thing. But have you ever had a freight order come in? And freight is just a different beast, you know, than than like a UPS or FedEx delivery. When it's freight, it's kind of like, we'll get there when we get there, you know? And like they called to arrange pickup like two days before, or not pickup, drop off. And uh, did the whole thing, everything, you know, by their rules and said, Okay, so we'll see you on uh, Thursday. And Thursday comes and goes. They gave me a window from nine to three. And they were a no-show. So now, luckily, I work from home, you know, but if I didn't and I was taking time off from work to sit around and wait for a delivery, that would really suck. Uh, And I was super busy today, so I didn't have time to call them. And now I haven't even heard back from them or wasn't even a a message on the machine like, oh, hey, let's reschedule. So I have no idea just because I haven't had time to look into it. I don't know what's going on with this sander, but it's somewhere on its way from wherever, Tennessee, are they, I think, um, to to the Phoenix area. And I I don't know where it is and when it's going to get here.
3: Oh, that's the worst. I always hate that when I always have to laugh, and I'm sure they probably hate it when I laugh at them because it's so loud and annoying. But it's always like one of those: is this a uh, a business? You have a uh, loading dock, and I'm like, uh, have you looked at the address? Are you familiar with the area? <laughs> yeah. It is a residence, and I want to really watch you struggle to get that truck down my street. That's exactly. gonna be awesome. Yeah. Lift gate,
2: please. You know. So. Yes, exactly.
0: the, the worst part is, is I I get it from the other side because I book a lot of freight and. Okay. We, uh, the people who book it, we, you know, you pay for the speed of the service and everything, but I know full well, like I'm paying for, and it says, you know, two to three days service to San Francisco. It's like, Hey, that's pretty cool. But that just means the local distribution point. And it's yeah. like, I have no control. Once it gets to the distribution point, like the tracking numbers yeah. are useless because yeah, the it tracking could be number just week. took it to the, to the central hub. And it's like, you know, I get customers calling me and I'm like, well, where's my lumber? And it's like, I wish I could tell you. But as far as I know, it's somewhere at this distribution point in San Fran, you know, and yeah. they call and, you know, they don't. I've had freight companies that will call you to set up the the uh, delivery. Mm-hmm. They don't leave a message. Like if you don't pick up, they won't leave a message. <laughs> and then it like, I guess it automatically goes to the bottom of the list. And like, they may not call you again for three days. So I'd be I'd be willing to, to guarantee you probably won't hear from this freight company again until like Tuesday or Wednesday if yeah. you don't call
2: them. I was going to say I have like, to call right them. away. No, no doubt about right. it. Well, and you know, being realistic, I know how this stuff works. You've got a large truck. You've got things that are in front of it. If those things don't come off, then it's very difficult to get to the delivery behind it. I know mm-hmm. how all that works, but this is one of those industries that sometimes I just have to ask myself, like, how did it, how is it allowed to be this crappy? Like I know, you know, things happen. <laughs> you don't right? have any other, but choice. there's no other choice, right? There's no other option for getting this thing here. So right. they could just yeah. provide crappy service, and that's the end of the story, right? <laughs> but you know what? We're all spoiled by like Amazon Prime and the agreements they have with like the postal service and uh, you know UPS that these things arrive so fast, so quickly. Like it makes it everything else seem super slow and terrible service. <laughs> you know, you know it, it's funny
3: you say that because I have actually had I had one. Uh, freight delivery and i remember jokingly saying i was joking that it was like well you're sure you're sure as heck not a ups the guy just looked at me (laughs) goes none of us will ever be ups you need to remember that
2: it's like i still get my
3: delivery are you gonna drive away now
2: (laughs) Uh, it's very easy to get them angry
3: do you see a brown shirt son no (laughs) actually i do did you have tacos also
2: (laughs) oh yuck all right matt (laughs) what's going on
3: Well, of course, I've been traveling again quite a bit. Uh, It's going to be happening. It's going to be a repeating theme throughout the next several months. But over the weekend, I did have an opportunity to get into the shop and make some more photo clipboards for for Samantha. She's starting to wrap up her busy wedding season. And so now she needs to start putting together her presentation pieces for the new happy couples. Hopefully they're new and happy or
2: we hope maybe so, to yeah. Maybe happy,
3: yes. Who knows? Maybe they were happy, but now they're not so happy, and they're just like, well, we'll have the photos to remind us that we were happy. <laughs> Either way, you'll have photos to capture it. That's, that's right. Exactly. It's one more thing that you could potentially fight over when the divorce comes around. Yeah. So anyway, so that's one thing I've been doing. And of course, these are small, simple projects that are just really easy to knock out. And the fun thing about it is to Sam really wants to have kind of like a quote-unquote kind of like an organic edge to it like it's it's it looks like it it kind of was just like chopped right out of the uh, the tree looking something similar to this like the edges but of course the faces have to be nice and smooth so this was a great opportunity to break out uh, my rasp and go to town on it and it's kind of fun doing some rasp work I don't know why it's fun. it just was, because it feels like I could just get through it real quickly, leaves a nice surface, and then I've got that nice pile of sawdust on the backside. I guess it's not really fun. It just gets the aggression out. That's what it is. It gets my <laughs> aggression out. And I feel better about myself.
2: You know now, do you find it easier or harder to rasp to a uniform look versus rasping to something that you are trying to make look random and natural? Oh
3: man, I think it's easier to go to the uniform versus yeah, the yeah yep. the natural look. The more you try to make it look like it's this is just a natural asymmetrical look, the more it looks <laughs> symmetrical.
2: Yeah. Anytime I try to do that artificially, it's like like how do you simulate randomness? You know, <laughs> right? It's like the hardest exactly. thing to do. One,
3: two, three. Damn it, that's a pattern. there's yeah, a nice, two, oh, there's a nice
2: uniform roundover or a chamfer. I'm your man. I got you. But you want that to look like Mother Nature did it? That may not come out so great.
3: Well, it goes right along with that whole thing when it comes down to distressing furniture and putting some sort of antiquing yep. effect on it. Yeah, the more right. you try to be as random as possible, the more you are exactly a pattern.
0: <laughs> right? yep. You're like you're like banging nails into the wood and you're like, okay, it's all random. You step back and you see
3: a smiley face. Yep. You're like, Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> uh, my inner self. So, so that's what's been going on with me. Now, Shannon, what do you have going on?
0: Well, well, I'm still working on the cancer the cancer table. That's probably
3: not what I want to call
2: <laughs> not, it. Not the best way to oh, refer to it. You're, you're
3: really into astrology, I hear. I mean, you gonna be making an Aries table soon because oh, I would totally sorry. purchase that.
2: I think Shannon um, fell again. Oh
3: well,
0: yeah. Yeah. he
2: does that every show now.
0: Would to adjust my mic and the uh, the little spit guard like gave gave way <laughs> and smacked the. It did exactly what it was not supposed to do. Anyway, I um I just I've got all the legs and everything set, and I've got the the table box put together. And I uh got the grooves and everything. It was really interesting because uh Mark, I think you actually say this in your, your uh plywood diagram that in mm-hmm. order to fit it onto one sheet, like some of the grain is a little wonky. Yep. You know, but we're painting this. So in this instance, the the aprons are actually um the grain runs across the width. Right. So it's totally the opposite of how you normally do it. And it was like, ah, no big deal, you know, I'm gonna end up painting um most of it anyway. I'm gonna I'm not exactly okay. sure how I'm gonna finish this yet, but Um, then it suddenly occurred to me, well, I've got to plow grooves across this and I've got like the absolute worst possible grain orientation to keep that face nice and clean because I'm going directly across the face veneer. So, you know, I, I put a lot of work in severing the fibers and getting that all together and everything and, uh, plowed the grooves out. And it was just so funny how proud I was of the fact that I plowed four grooves <laughs> I was like, man, that was really cool. And I step back, and you actually see what I just did, and the amount of time it took me to get it nice and clean. I was like, yeah, it's kind of anticlimactic.
2: <laughs> I don't know, man. If you you're plowing four grooves in plywood all by hand, I think that's something to be proud of. Like, to I was actually, proud of it, to go but, through the trouble know, of doing that.
0: <laughs> but to the layperson, when they come down and see that's all you did in the oh, last yeah, hour, yeah. yeah. <laughs> to anyone
2: else, it's like, well, okay. But
0: but I I'm gonna get I'm gonna like fancy it up and everything uh, another spot that won't be seen. But instead of just cutting a rabbit on the bottom panel, I'm gonna use a panel raising plane and make like an actual raised panel nice. that will face towards the floor. So when the <laughs> when the little kids drop their crayons and crawl
3: underneath it, they get to see a cool raised panel.
2: They'll look That'd up and awesome. say, "Wow, that is some fantastic craftsmanship."
3: <laughs> I'm sure they will. No, actually, what they're gonna be doing is going, "Dad, what are you doing underneath that table? Why are you looking at that?" Oh, while you're down there, can you get me red? There you go. <laughs> actually, the raised panel
0: is just that little recessed area that you can stick your bubble gum.
2: Perfect. You need more yeah, of that's,
3: those. That's an awesome idea. You have no idea how many times you see a child struggling for like that right spot. <laughs> and so <laughs> if they have a designated yeah. location, that totally helps out. Just
2: pack it in there. All right, let's move into what's new. Got some stuff to share for you. In fact, the first one is not new at all. It's actually several, several years old, but it's new to me. Uh, for for years was now, working before a couple of years, no. Well, most woodworking actually didn't start until 2010 ish. A lot of people don't know that, but that's yeah, that's true. It's true prior yeah, to 2010, yeah. it's up on Wikipedia exactly. Nothing happened before then. Uh, this is a bandsaw setup video that I've had sent probably sent to me more than anything just because I did a bandsaw setup video years ago. And folks want to know how does this method compare? Do I like this one better? Uh, I even had some people on my old video. Love this when this happens, by the way. Do, do more of this, people. Um, <laughs> someone comes along and says, and by the way, the video I posted, I think was like a 2009 video, and this other video for a bandsaw setup was 2011-ish. So the person is like, what is wrong with these people? Don't they check out what their competitors are doing to see if there's other techniques? You know, and it's just like, oh, come on, man. Like, please tell me you realize that there are some people who did not get their woodworking education from the internet. Right, like not to say I'm not saying that's bad that's how I get most of my education from you know the internet these days and mortgage
0: by the way yes that's
2: true (laughs) Um, but, but the point being that some people prior to 2006 had to get information passed around from either books or from other woodworkers which means it's slower and there's sometimes bad information that takes a longer time for it to resolve you know for other people to say no that's the old way you're doing that that doesn't work anymore try this other thing right so this video is great and it's very similar to the the standard bandsaw setup stuff that you've probably seen before, but there are some subtle differences that make the process work better and help it eliminate drift. Now Michael Fortune also does this, uh, if you've ever seen some of his stuff, but this is the Alex Snodgrass video. So again, nothing new, people have probably seen this before, but I think it's worth looking at if you have a problem with a drift angle on your bandsaw fence. So very simple setup process, go through it, do it on your saw, and get back to us. Let us know how how well it works for you, but I tried it on mine, I was very impressed with the, the way that it knocks out the whole drift thing. Um, because here's the thing. A lot of people are like, well, if everybody saw this video, there wouldn't be any problems with this bandsaw drift, and, and that's true, but if you look at any manual, for just about any manual for a bandsaw, they all recommend what would then be the wrong way to install the blade, right? So you're wondering where all this bad information's coming from. Well, start at the manufacturer. They tell you to put the blade centered on the wheel, and what uh, Snodgrass uh, recommends is that you put the gullet of the teeth at the center point. So a lot of your blade is actually hanging off toward the back, right? And that's a very different piece of advice but that's what gets the blade cutting nice and straight and, and sort of square to your table orientation and it actually works, you know? So a lot of this information, it's, it's core to information that's being fed to people when they buy their tools and that's something that, that needs to change in order for the bad information to stop being circulated. Um, so the way I learned was just from the, what I learned from David Marks, you know? And it's not that it doesn't work but if you want to eliminate drift, This is actually a really good way to do it. You know, and and a funny thing is there are products out there. Like look at the drift master from Laguna is a beautiful fence. I've got one on my saw. It's fantastic, but it's primary purpose. What it does really, really well is adjusting very quickly and easily for the drift. And you could change the angle of the fence to adjust for it. Well, if you set your blade up this way, you actually don't need that at all, which is an interesting thing to think about. So, but that's how deep the misinformation goes sometimes in the industry. There are things invented to solve problems that are actually solvable by a different set of procedure. It's kind of weird to think about. So anyway, that's a long, lot of words talking about this one thing. But go check it out. If you have if you're having trouble with your bandsaw, check this out. I think this video is going to help out.
3: Sweet. All right, well, we have another one here. They uh, Preston sent this in. Preston Norris sent this in, and it's an article from the Denver Post uh, talking about. And I've been trying to. I've read this a couple of times. I just think this is really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, a woodworking instructor, Dean Matson, who was originally from Oregon, put together a just I guess a fantastic school in Oregon, if I'm reading this correctly. But he's brought it to Colorado. And right now, the the school that they put together, they said they have like uh, 30 industry partners that are helping fund this program. They have just a, a ton of great equipment in there. But more importantly, what they're trying to do is create a woodworking environment where you're going to have students come in and actually learn How to do woodworking and eventually get out in the market so that uh, furniture manufacturers, uh, maybe high-end woodworking would be able to hire people who actually have some sort of at least a basic experience going into this. Uh, It's really – it sounds like uh, Dean Madsen just did such an amazing job in Oregon that the Peyton School District apparently was like, uh, hey – why don't you come here and visit us? Hmm. We really need to talk to you. Uh, it's a really neat story. So if you get an opportunity, again, we'll have the links in there. And this is from the Denver Post. And it's rather new. In fact, the article is called The Most Advanced Woodworking Lab in the Country. It sits inside a, a Colorado classroom. And then a subtitle, about $700,000. 700000 Hello. Worth of donated equipment. Jeez. Makes up the lab where students work and learn.
2: That is awesome. And, you know, Dean Madsen, uh, I, I thought I recognized the name. Chidwick you know uh, Andy Chidwick and the yeah, his yep. school of working he like once a year does this sort of outreach program thing where they bring in some students uh, to to help them do a project together and I don't know if it's a troubled teens sort of thing but uh, it's a really really great program and I believe he's the guy they bring in to teach the class or at least and help I- teach it. And I
3: remember, mm-hmm. right, isn't this the one? Also, Bob Lang is doing a lot of stuff with. In fact, I think Bob is like become like his his main person to really kind of get out there and talk about what's going on and try and and, and write as much about it as possible. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, and
0: actually, I think I just saw on Facebook the other day that Andy Chidwick has taken over the Oregon School. Now that oh. Dean is out in Colorado, no kidding, wow. taken over or at least is like I don't know, filling in, if you will, because Andy got real quiet for a while there. And I was wondering, I was just thinking the other day, I wonder what Andy's up to. And I just popped up on Facebook. Huh. Um, and yeah, apparently he's out in Oregon helping out. Very um, nice. Because now Dean's in Colorado. But the, the other cool part about this article, first of all, the fact that Dean insists on calling it wood manufacturing, which mm-hmm. I think is just cool. Mm-hmm. But he's also built a an instructor school. So he's bringing out like, for lack of a better term, wood shop teachers right. to come and learn kind of how this works and how you can take it back to your own area and get manufacturers to sponsor you. Like it's, it's less about how to teach wood shop and more about how to set up uh, a shop like this. To make it viable. Using corporate support.
2: Yeah. So it's very cool.
0: It's, it's like a grassroots trade school that he's trying to develop. Um, somebody that, uh, they had to get Mike Rowe working with him because he'd love this. Yeah, this we is know. exactly what Mike Rowe's about.
3: Yep. You know what, what you just described there with the idea of bringing in these instructors and and trying to create these labs that these students will be working in. Set up these environments, working partnering with tool manufacturers, uh, uh, tool suppliers, or whatever. Really, in in the end, putting out that as a tool supplier. Um, and a manufacturer, like, donating these tools, you're kind of planting the seeds for potentially these individuals to either go work for shops that are like, hey, I'm going to need more equipment, so I'm going to purchase this from you. Or these people could potentially start their own shops, which now is another revenue for these manufacturers. And, yeah, and
0: what do you think they're going to buy?
3: You know, if they learned yeah, on the a powermatic table on.
0: saw, what do you think they're going to buy when they build exactly. their own shop? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah so it's a the, win-win. So
3: yeah, they're, they're planting these seeds, you know, and, and getting it out there. And on top of it, who knows? I think this would be, if any of the manufacturers are listening, this might be a neat opportunity to throw out some prototype stuff in there and be like, hey, kids, tell us what you think about this. Oh, yeah. you don't like that feature? Oh, well, we should put that one in there because uh, that one didn't work out so well. You
2: know, I like the terminology, too, like you said, Shannon, but they keep referring to it as a lab yeah. And I think if you're trying to write a budget for a school, you probably like terminology probably really matters a lot. And if you okay, say yeah. words like lab as opposed to shop class, you yeah. know, you might actually be able to get that through a well, little bit easier. Well, and, and whether
0: I, I think you might be right in this mark, but the you said disadvantaged teens or troubled teens or something like that. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's the stigma It's right. attached to shop class. You know, mm-hmm. those are the kids that don't get bad grades elsewhere, and it's so incorrect. Right. Well, think know, about it.
3: I mean, just in like mainstream movies, this is going to totally age yeah. us.
0: Fast Times at Ridgemont High, man.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or even like The Breakfast Club. It's like the smart kid. Like, I couldn't pass shop class. Why? You thought shop class was easy? There's
2: <laughs> that right. one scene in Superbad that's really good too, but it involves oh, curse words.
3: Yes. yes. I love that scene. <laughs> we need to actually embed that into the show. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. That's a good one. Scene. What are you doing? Just drilling holes. Right. <laughs> I think all right, well, hey, rest so these, we have right?
3: an, a, another one. Are, you, are we done with that, you guys? Yep, you want good. to keep talking about drilling holes. Is that what you want to do?
2: Let's talk about Denver a little bit more, my, my okay. future hometown.
3: Oh, there you go. Well, maybe maybe <laughs> if
0: you it's get Color
2: associated
3: Springs. with it, Peyton School Districts outside Colorado Springs, Mark. Cool.
2: It's close enough. It's all the same thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> Except for that seventy mile. It's wide all open, the it's all ro- ro- Rocky Mountain With Castle Rock in the middle. (laughs) It's fine. It looks small on the map. I mean, I don't know what you're talking about. All right. Well, now let's
3: move on to another link that we have. And George literally just sent this in. I think this came in just the other day. He said, I just watched a video where this guy compares LED strip lighting to CFLs. He won't win any acting awards, but the subject matter is very interesting. And he puts a link in here. And this is actually to a Matthias Wendell uh, um, uh, video. So, therefore, you know there's going to be just a ton of engineering speak in here. So, hmm. uh, definitely something to take a look at. I know there's always discussion about lighting. Uh, George goes on to talk a little bit about it, putting the lighting together. I know, Mark, you had a great article when you were starting to put together the shops since you were looking more at natural lighting but trying to fill in right. uh, where the natural lighting is not going to work because natural light isn't so great at night.
2: Right. It doesn't work that well at night.
3: Right. Exactly.
2: Cool. And then uh, one more
3: here. Uh, Huck sent this one in. I'm going to take all these links. Do you it, man. Do Let it. me do this. Uh, Huck sent this one in. He said, just found this full-size homemade table saw build with a steel top. Coincidentally, uh, Huck points out this is not a Matthias Wendell video. Again, Matthias Wendell. If you really like engineering stuff, like engineering speak, you have that engineering mind. You want to build everything yourself and go into super engineering. Matthias is your person. Uh, but anyways, this was not Matthias And uh, so this person creates a entire table saw pretty much made out of wood. Now, the motor and stuff is not made out of wood, but many of the parts in here. I had a chance to sit back and watch this. And, of course, one thought I have is (sighs) I have no interest in doing this. It's not really a thought. That's more of a statement. Are you wondering about what what kind of warranty
2: it comes with? (laughs)
3: yeah <laughs> so I'm just like forget it I'm gonna buy my own because by the time all the materials I put into this and all the therapy I would need from trying to create this I could have bought my own table saw well
2: you could you could add a saw stop like mechanism have your son sitting behind it with a set of <laughs> rubber coated tongs right? that's right yeah as soon as <laughs> he sees it's gonna go it's just like pinch it pinch it real quick like, yeah that'd be perfect yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, there's, there's a point with the homemade tools, you know, and, and I think we've talked about this before. The three of us kind of fall on the side of like not really loving the concept just for our various personal reasons. Uh, but this takes it to a whole new level of, Ooh, uh, E <laughs> you know I mean? like, and it's just, we're, I guess we're a little biased in that regard, but uh, for people who are into that stuff, there's some great resources out there now to make your own tools. It's been pretty neat.
3: Yep. And you can keep trying to tell me that it is really, really cool and I should do it. And I'm going to keep telling you no.
2: Heck no. All right. Nope. <laughs> Let's move into our kickback. Uh, first one here is from Steven. I'll go ahead and read it, but I think Shannon's got a, a few words to say about it. <laughs> Shannon's <laughs> rare to respond. Yeah, <laughs> get hold me ready. back. Hold me back. Warm it up. Warm it up. Do your your scales or whatever you singers do. Uh, Steven says, not to beat this horse in the ground any more than necessary, but the recent conversations about kerfing a board at the table saw to resaw on the bandsaw or with a handsaw reminded me of something I saw a while back and I'm surprised I didn't hear somebody bring this up. Tom Fidgen created something on his video blog a while back and he calls it a kerfing plane, which looks a little like the love child of a backsaw and a grooving plane. He starts the build here and shows it in use here, and we'll be able to link to uh, both of those. looks like it's two different videos. Um, and a saw rabbit plane oh, – this is for you, Shen, right? The fence kit that you're talking about?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's. I found it interesting that this was brought up in reference to our conversation about um, basically a power tool operation to resaw you know, yeah, this yeah, was yeah. multiple episodes ago, but it was, somebody was talking about, you know, their bandsaw was, was struggling a little bit. So they were using the table saw to create the curve around the board and then using the bandsaw to come in and nibble out the, the remainder part. Mm-hmm. And somebody kicked back and said, well, you can also use a handsaw to do that. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, here I am on the, on the handle end of the spectrum, but I find it would be unusual for somebody that is saying my bandsaw is not going to is not doing this right or my table saw is not doing this right to then pull out essentially a handsaw yeah. and start the curve and then finish it up with a power tool um first of all the curve difference there might give you some issues um but the kerfing plane as it's known nowadays is uh I I kudos to Tom vision for uh, reviving it and I'm very um <laughs> mean that when i say reviving it it's been around a long time folks it's patented back in like 1830 something as a saw rabbit plane and there are instances of it even prior to that just look at the stair saws that uh you found in german wood shops back in the 1700s and probably even earlier than that the problem that i would see with this in the power tool method we originally talked about is a this is going to be a heck of a lot slower Um, And it's not creating a massively deep kerf, nor is it creating a very wide kerf. So if you're trying to follow up with a wider kerf power tool, you're going to have some issues, um, probably not binding because the power tool is just going to power through it, but you're not really creating a guide, like a a path of least resistance that that the power tool is going to want to follow. Now, if you're going to resaw entirely by hand, Then this kind of rebate plane, saw rebate plane, kerfing plane. Kerfing plane is easier to say, so we'll just call it a kerfing plane. Um, That makes a lot more sense. At the same time, though, one of the beautiful things about this when you're doing it by hand or when you're doing it on a bandsaw is you don't necessarily have to have all these perfectly flat jointed faces um, you can just mark a line on the board and saw to it, right? Whether it be handsaw or bandsaw, the minute you bring in a fenced plane that's got to ride against something, now you've got to have that perfectly flat face. And I think that the 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 press or whatever the everyone's so excited about the kerfing plane. I I'm the jury's still out for me. I have a fence kit from Blackbird and Toolworks that just got it the other day. I plan on building one of these to really kind of test it, but. I am really I don't know, uh, maybe I'm jaded, but I just don't see that it's going to add that much to the mix when you can just grab a handsaw and cut the same curve. Hmm. So uh, Id you know, not again, not to beat this dead horse anymore. Maybe there are some curfing plane users out there, but uh, I, I don't know. It feels like to me it's something that's even going to slow down the process a little bit more.
2: The horse is saying, no mas, no, mas. <laughs> no mas. And
0: to echo what we said earlier, there was woodworking that happened before 2010.
2: I still don't believe and,
0: it. And, and if you want, I can include the link and you can go to Blackburn Tools and you can see the actual patent from 1830 something for this saw rabbit plane. So cool. there you go.
2: Good stuff. All right. Well, now's a good time to talk about our friends over at Casper Mattresses. Casper mattresses are obsessively engineered American-made mattresses at a shockingly fair price. And now you can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash woodtalk and using the code WOODTALK. Let's be honest, you spend about a third of your life sleeping, so you should make sure you're doing it on a good quality mattress. Casper brings together two comfy technologies for better nights and brighter days, latex foam and memory foam. So they've got just the right sink and just the right bounce no matter how you sleep. They've got a risk-free trial and return policy and they'll deliver it straight to your door. Try it out for a hundred days and if you're not happy, they'll pick it back up. At the store, maybe you get a minute or two to try a mattress, but with Casper, you'll actually get to sleep on it. It's $500 for a twin size mattress and $950 for a king size mattress. Comparing that to industry averages, that's an outstanding price point. So get $50 towards any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash woodtalk and using the code woodtalk. Terms and conditions apply. All right, move into our voicemail. Now this has to do with scrolling at the bandsaw and I think it's actually just a coincidence because last week didn't we talk about bandsaw blade sizes and Matt, I think you had a question about that.
3: Yep. Yeah, we did, and um, it was a. In fact, it was a three-part question that probably could have been just a oneer. But yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, okay. it was, and it was uh, really asking about like, why should you have like a third blade or something for tighter curves? So right. I saw this in here, and I'm like, ooh,
0: oh, yeah, yeah. good. Hey. I, I actually thought this might have been kickback <laughs> when
2: I saw it. Right. Yeah. I just think it's a coincidence, but good timing because it's uh you know on topic with that. Hey guys, uh,
1: long time listener, second time caller. I really just wanted to say that, um, it's calling probably mostly directed at Mark, but, um, Matt or Shannon, if you have three cents to add, that's great. I am uh, planning on working on actually the first video I ever saw for the wood whisperer was actually not Mark's own video. It was the, uh, the guy that makes the wooden geared clock uh, that intrigued me. So I ordered a kit this year, um, and borrowed someone's scroll saw with the intentions of working on it, and then life happened, and I had to give the scroll saw back before I could do hardly any of the work. I have a 14-inch bandsaw, I'm sorry, a 12-inch bandsaw, so I'm wondering if an eighth-inch blade, in your opinion, if an eighth-inch blade will do a majority of that work. I know the inside cuts, obviously, I'll either have to uh, do by hand or... um, yeah, you know, get a scroll saw or something of that nature so just want to know if you thought i don't have an eighth inch blade currently i think a quarter is as small as i get but if you thought i don't have any experience of how tight of a curve that will do if you think that would yield positive results um love the show love listening to it every week or twice a week whichever you guys decide to do uh let me know what you think
2: All right. so that video was by my buddy Rick Urschel, and we just published it on our site. So he made a wonderful wooden geared clock. Lots of little tiny teeth on these gears. So even at an eighth of an inch, that blade I think is going to have a little bit of trouble. Like you can do it, but this goes back to what we were talking about last week, where you sort of nibble away at the inside curves, and it's not like you're going to do that once or twice. You probably have to do that like 20 or 30 times per gear. And let me tell you, that's not going to be fun. You're going to be miserable. <laughs> no. So I honestly think in this case for a wooden geared clock, there's going to be nothing better than a scroll saw. So as much as I hate to recommend buying an extra tool, if you're into this, this is a scroll saw heavy project. A uh, eighth inch blade just isn't going to do the trick. I mean, it might be okay to, to speed up certain parts and straight cuts, but yeah, I don't want to see you doing that kind of work for that length of time on that many gears. Uh, That would be pretty rough.
0: Well, I think it comes down uh, sometimes less than, you know, we're talking about an eighth of an inch blade, which is the the width of the blade from the front to the back of the blade. We're also talking about number of teeth per inch. Yeah. In order to do that delicate work, you need a finer tooth so that it's not ripping and tearing it apart. Mm -hmm. Do they even make bandsaw blades like that? That's a good
2: question, yeah. And we're also talking about plywood. You know, these gears are yeah. typically made from a plywood kit, so if you don't have a really nice fine tooth to make that cut, you could be looking at some significant tear-out as you're making those turns, too. Right. So. The you other know, thing- Looking
3: at, at some of the manufacturers – sorry, Shannon. Let me just put this That's out there right. real quick before you – before you take that away, because I know you're going to have some great information, more than likely <laughs> – Maybe I'll do that mattress where you're going to give that information out. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, uh, so typically what, uh, an eighth of an inch blade, from looking at some stuff here, I was just looking this up real quick. They're talking about the the minimum radius that you could probably get with this is about three sixteenth of an inch. So if you need to go tighter than that, you know, or like really deep down in that tooth, yeah, perhaps like a, a scroll saw would be, probably be a better one to go. And it just seems like, I don't know, some, sometimes having the, the way that you approach the tool with the scroll saw I mean you're kind of pushing down on the table in the same direction, but a scroll saw whenever I've seen people working at it, it just looks like you have a little bit more control in there when you're getting in there for tight curves
0: yeah, yeah. right well the the biggest thing to look at with these really fine blades is they're very fragile. so you're it, be prepared to buy many of them. you know yeah. when you buy scroll saw blades, you don't buy one or two. You buy them by the gross because you snap them all the time,
2: Yeah, especially those now imagine that
0: in a big, long. You know, bandsaw blade. You know, if you snap that, you, you cry.
2: And uh, don't
0: we don't want you to cry.
2: Yeah, I'd be curious to know what the what the finest tooth configuration you could get on a bandsaw blade is. Yeah. Probably not and, enough for the structure. And
0: then do you I guess you must like dial back the tension pretty heavily too. Yeah. If you put too much tension on that, you're gonna at least bend it or <laughs> right. ever, you know? <clears throat> yeah. Stretch it, make it even thinner. Who knows?
2: All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Still getting over with this thing. Can said. you believe it? It's ridiculous. All right, let's move into our email. That's where we're at, right? Yeah, voicemail. Yeah, yeah, email. Yeah, yeah.
0: email. Sounds good. Okay.
2: Uh, Nate wrote in. He says, We have a teak kitchen table that we bought a year ago. The lacquer finish has faded significantly with daily use and abuse for my three young minions. From reading Flexner's understanding wood finishing, I'm thinking of applying varnish over the existing lacquer. Is this bonkers? any varnish products you've had success with. I'm a brush or rag guy, no HVLP in my world. All right, so I think this is probably something a lot of people may want to do. A lot of times you get that, um, you know, commercial table finish that's on there, and it does wear out. You know, it's probably not the best quality finish in the world, and kids are incredibly rough on this stuff. So um, I think, I don't think he's crazy at all. I think this is a common situation people run across. And fortunately, there are things you can do. Uh, that lacquer finish is, you know, usually going to be pretty like brittle I mean brittle in the sense that it's it's not like a soft varnish it's harder right so you can give it a light sanding and just kind of give it a little bit of a mechanical tooth so that you could apply a finish to it and there's a couple things I'd recommend I mean any standard polyurethane is probably going to be more durable than the lacquer that you had on there before uh, so if you just wanted to use you know minwax poly right off the shelf uh, wipe on poly if you want to wipe it on instead You could go for a higher grade material like armor seal and that's already pre-diluted for wiping. All those are going to be really heavy duty polyurethanes but if you want to kick it up a notch, make it a little bit stronger, take a look at Balin's Rock Hard Tabletop Varnish and it's kind of the funniest name but that's actually the name, Balin Rock Hard Tabletop Urethane Varnish. Uh, This stuff has got a particularly high solids count in it so that when you apply those coats, it's actually a more durable, tougher finish that resists chemicals, cleaning agents, all kinds of things but it's still just an oil-based varnish so it applies the same way or in a similar way to other oil-based varnishes. So if you're looking for something to apply by hand, you do not need to to spray it. You could dilute it and wipe it if you want to or just brush it on with a nice uh, you know natural bristle brush or something. Um, You should be able to get really good results with that but just sand the surface first, clean it up, make sure there's no cleaning agents or wax on it, Uh, give it a nice even sanding across and then hit it with some bale and I, I don't think you're going to be unhappy with that and that is all I have to say is that about it do you think there's anything else do you want to add no I might clear my throat for another five minutes though
3: oh okay. could you do that on air that would help out <laughs> that, that yeah, always we'll, goes over we'll, we'll sit
2: here quietly and listen okay
3: <laughs> <laughs> alright well let's move into Tom's email here while you go ahead and clear your throat. <clears> throat I kind of went ahead and you're going to have to excuse me Tom this was a longer email so I went ahead and kind of pared things down a little bit uh, but you're going to get the gist of what Tom's asking did you here. make he him says, sound smarter uh, not really. I probably, knowing the way that I just did this, it's going <laughs> to sound <opposite>. really bad. <laughs> it's, it's much more Neanderthal now. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Tom McMarker need help.
2: <laughs> i Tom. I'm McMarker.
3: Well, it's funny. It starts out, hey, I'm Tom. No, uh, I'm making a child-sized rocker for my niece's baby shower, and I've come to the point where I need to make the rockers. I tried my spokeshave, but got results that were less than stellar. I tried a flexible sanding strip, but that took about 20 minutes of hard, solid, back-and-forth sanding per half of the rocker, and I went through quite a bit of sandpaper. Now, when it was mostly smooth, I went back to the spokeshave. Oh, why spokeshave. Why did I have to throw it in there? I went back to the spoke shave and it actually looked worse than I did than it did before I tried. I moved my drum sander and got both rockers done in the time it took to sand half of one of them. However, in the future, how does one tackle surfaces like this? I realize that doing it by hand will inherently be slower, but I'm fairly certain that after the rough cut craftsmen of old, they wouldn't have spent almost an hour and a half simply sanding off the saw marks. Wouldn't they have Tom? Also, hmm. sandpaper and flexible sanding strips haven't been around forever, and smoothing out saw cuts on curved surfaces has been happening for centuries. I know I'm missing something here. I just don't know what. Could you please enlighten me? Well, I don't know if we're going to enlighten you, maybe a little You'll bit. You'll try We'll try. So my big question, Tom, is what grit of sandpaper did you start using on those rockers? Uh, really, when it comes down to it, in my own shop, if I if I have a lot of milling and cutting marks to remove, and I too have, I have moments where my spoke shave is my friend, and I have other moments where I want to like treat my spoke shave like certain old friends, kick them out of the house, <laughs> never allow them. Sacrilege, sir. How dare you? <laughs> well, it happens once in a while. But when I, when I do have to actually do the sandpaper, I typically start with something that's rather aggressive. So I will even go as low, maybe even lower than like an 80. There's been times like I'm looking at like cement going, I'll use that. Um, but I usually start with a, an aggressive grit, and then once I have those milling marks removed and once I have the shape somewhat refined, if that's something I still need to do, that's when I will then start working up my finer grits. And when I use that aggressive grit, um, it will remove a lot of material quickly. And, and see in here, he said it took about 20 minutes of hard, solid back-and-forth sanding uh, per half of the rocker. That doesn't surprise me, depending on how bad Those cut marks, I would almost anticipate that. One thing I'm wondering is if maybe that flexible strip that you were using, Tom, was maybe too flexible, if you really couldn't maybe get enough pressure on there, because that can definitely have an issue. I mean, you could be using an aggressive paper, but if you're not applying the right pressure to it, it's not going to do you any good. So perhaps, I'm just going to kind of guess a little bit, maybe that flexible sanding strip was just a little too flexible. Mm. Now, Another, when it comes to, uh, there's a reason why power tools kind of replace the muscle power in the shops. I think we're assuming that old craftspeople probably would have ran through this thing in like no time flat. But quite honestly, uh, I know some professional woodworkers who, when it comes to sanding, they get to the point where they do a lot of it and it takes them a long time to do it so that they can get it perfect the right way. So, you know, 20 minutes really seems like a minimum amount of time. When it comes down to it. So I think maybe the issue here is what sandpaper you were using, uh, the, the, the grit, you know, working from that that coarser up to the finer when you just are finally have the shape all set and the milling marks are gone. Especially since one more thing was the fact that he said he went through quite a bit of sandpaper. I don't know about you guys, but when I've used the wrong grit of sandpaper, it's amazing how much of it I'll go through.
2: <laughs> you go through a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, comes yeah. Time.
3: So if it's something that should actually be more like a 180, and somehow I'm at 220, it's amazing how I'll use twice the stack. So I think that's yeah. where your issue is: is you are just starting out with the wrong grit of sandpaper, more than anything else.
2: Can I uh, interject a couple of thoughts too? I know oh, Shannon, Shannon I'm you're probably probably you probably don't want my chair me. over here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I'll talk about rasps, and Shannon, you're probably going to okay. want to talk about spoke shaves.
0: Well, I was gonna bring up rasps because I think spokeshaves scare a lot of people. So please talk about rasps.
2: Okay, yeah, I think this is a tooling issue. Yeah, um, I, mean, I think he went the right route, but like, see, to me, a flexible sanding strip, if you have to, you can use that for the early stages, but it's really a finishing tool. Um, To use that to aggressively remove things, you're just making a lot of back-breaking work for no reason. So I'll let Shannon talk about the spoke shave a little bit, (laughs) but the the rasp is something that you could use for this as well because it's effectively like really, really aggressive sandpaper on a flat back that you could very easily fair your curves and get all those milling marks out and all you'll be left with in a matter of seconds is a rough surface that then needs that finish sanding that you could apply your flexible sanding strip with. So I think you're missing a valuable coarse surface prep step that's prior to the sanding that you, you could be using the, uh, the rasps for. Um, and then of course the spoke shave when tuned properly, Shannon, you want to talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, I'd be willing to bet that's what we're talking about here. Um, <coughs> spoke shaves. Certainly there's a grain issue. And when you're dealing with a curve, like a rocker where it's a semicircle, the grain's going to change directions on you halfway through. Mm. Like when you get to the apex of that curve, it's going to change directions on the downhill side. So that can be a little tough, because you've got to, you know, you, you make one pass and it starts to tear out and then you go the other way and it cleans it up, but then it tears out the other side of it. And you kind of have to, to balance that a little bit. But the spoke spokeshave is difficult because it has a very short wheelbase, you know, tiny, tiny little sole. And it has a tendency to want to chatter and it will tip forward or back. And there is an engagement angle that you have to to hold that spoke shave in. And a lot of people, first of all, they just don't sharpen the blade well enough. Nine times out of ten, the problem you're having is the blade is not sharp. The other times is if you're trying to take a really like heavy cut with the thing it will chatter. I mean, you don't have very much mass here. You don't have a whole lot to to kind of deaden that vibration. So there's a lot of skewing. There's a lot of off-angle work that needs to happen. If I am, and and, and I've done this with the the Windsor rocker that I built down at the Woodwright School, we shaped it entirely with spokeshaves. And then, of course, Roy pulled out a compass plane and we did it all with compass planes, which was really, really cool. Don't go buy a compass plane. That's way too specific. <laughs> but, you know, there, there's a lot of different techniques to using the spoke shave. And nine times out of 10, if you just got it sharp, it will, oh my God, it's so fast. It's so unbelievably fast to clean up a wide curve, like a rocker like that. Generally, the only time that I ditch the spokeshave and go to something like a rasp is when the curve gets too extreme and I can't get the blade on like inside curves and things like that. So, um, he doesn't really say, he says less than stellar. And then he says it made it worse. Well, actually,
3: um, that I was going to say, I was trying to look for the original email. When I was doing some of my editing, there was a few other <laughs> things that were mentioned in there, but he did mention that there was some stuttering, some chattering, yeah. and uh, and issues like that. Well, chattering so, yeah, and so tearing. Definitely. You've got to sharpen blade.
0: your blade. You've got to back that cut off. You're probably trying to take too heavy of a cut. Mm. I don't know what spokeshave he's using, but if he's using a vintage one, they really don't, you know, the, at least the the traditional angle ones, they they don't handle real, real heavy cuts uh, without some tuning to them. If it's a low angle one, that can be even harder because there's no soul in which to reference. So it is a technique issue you're dealing with there. Um, the only reason I bring this up is don't um, don't throw away the spokeshave yet. Don't give up on the spokeshave yet. There's a reason why the spokeshave is in my logo for the Renaissance Woodworker. It is easily my favorite tool, but it, it's got a learning curve on it. So Definitely get that blade sharp and try it again. And get back to us if you have specific questions on how to use it. Send us another email. Sweet. You're up, Shannon. Sweet. Okay. Uh, Let's see. This comes from Pug. I like that. Pug. Uh, I bought a PAX rip saw a few months ago, and thought and though I like it, I don't feel it is overly sharp. I thought I would try sharpening myself. Good man as it is a rip configuration with about four teeth per inch. I hear this is the easiest type of handsaw to sharpen. I bought the appropriate file from Lee Valley. That's good considering they're like out of stock and everything. So good on you for getting it before they went out of stock. I am still unsure about how to go about the sharpening. I watched a few videos, but some videos so show, show, show sharpening. That's hard to say. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> they show sharpening every other tooth in one direction. And some videos show sharpening all the teeth in the same direction. So what he's talking about is you you, sh- you you push across, then you skip a tooth, and you skip a tooth all the way down. And then you flip the saw around in the vise and saw from the other direction. Um, also, since the saw has only been used a few times, is jointing and setting required? All right. I'm just going to overlook the fact that there's two questions thrown into there, Pug. Um, uh-huh. There'll be floggings later. So this is, um, this is one of those things in saw sharpening that's kind of like eh, everybody's going to have a different opinion on it. He's absolutely right in the fact that a rip saw is going to be probably a good saw to, to start on because a rip tooth doesn't have any fleam. That's the bevel angle that goes across the tooth. So when you're talking about a rip saw, really, there's no reason why you couldn't saw, uh, file everything from the same side and hit every tooth. Because you're not – as you're pushing across, you're pushing 90 degrees to the plate. Now, there are some people that will tell you you should skip over the tooth and turn it around. Because what's happening as you push the file across, you're essentially creating a burr um, on the the off side, the far side of the tooth. So if half the teeth have a burr on one side and half the teeth have a burr on the other side, it should even things out, right? Well – Yes, maybe so. Um, And there's a lot of really, really good saw sharpeners. I think Mark Harrell at Bad Axe does this, where he flips it around. Um, I've tried both ways. I just don't, I don't know. What happens is you can come back after you've sharpened and uh, what's called stone the saw plate. So You're literally taking a file or a stone and just drawing it down the saw plate, and it's nipping off those burrs that have been created. So if you've created all the burrs on the same side, you're going to file or stone those off later. If you've created a burr on both sides, most people still tell you to go back and stone the saw on both faces, which is going to to take off those burrs. So, you know, there's probably some really accomplished saw sharpeners out there who are going to kick back to this, but I think it's you could do either way as long as you're doing that stoning step at the end. So in my opinion, rather than skipping every tooth and then going back and flipping around because it ends up being more... Um, tiresome. I mean, let's be honest, you're focusing on these tiny little teeth and you lose your place. You know, oh, did I skip that one? Did I not skip that one? If you can just go tooth by tooth by tooth all the way down the blade, it ends up, um, you kind of maintain your focus a little bit more. Um, and you maintain the angle and the rake and all that just by not having to, to restart, if you will. Now, the other thing he may have seen, if he's seen videos and there's people showing every other tooth, if it's a crosscut saw that does have fleam, that does have that angle, well, that angle is alternating. So you you kind of, unless you, how do I put this? Um, it, when you flip the saw around, you can saw the opposite angle by maintaining the same body position. You don't have to like change your body and saw a different angle. And it's a lot easier to to run your file across at the same consistent angle because you kind of build that that muscle memory, if you will, if you're constantly changing it, it gets to be a little difficult. It's the same reason that people will saw the left side of all the tails at once on a dovetail and then come back and saw the right side all at once because you're kind of repeating that angle. It's a lot easier than constantly switching. So that also may be what he was seeing. He was seeing somebody sharpening a crosscut saw. But, you know, <laughs> there are very accomplished saw sharpeners who will do all on one side and some of the jewel on the other side. And um, I recommend doing one on one side. And if you have bad results with that, you can blame me. Feel free. Then try flipping it around and doing it one on each side. Um, as a little bonus, this latest issue, I think, of Fine Woodworking, there is a good article on saw sharpening by Mark Harrell of Bad Axe. Uh, mm. It's worth checking out. There's some good info in there.
3: Cool. you don't, know, coincidentally right now, in fact, I just saw this come through, uh, Ron Hawk has been doing excerpts from his uh, sharp, or his sharpening book. Is it at the, uh, the, I can't remember the name of the book. Anyways, though, he's got uh, a three-part series on sharpening saws up on his uh, blog right now. Sweet. With some uh, great pictures and there's some demonstrations. So definitely check that out over at hawktools.com.
2: Cool. Sounds good. All right. Well, now's a good time to hear from our friends over at tablelegs.com. Let's face it, folks, sometimes we could use a little help on our projects. Maybe it's a project part that requires a tool you don't have, or maybe you haven't gotten to the point that you're ready to tackle a new skill. Or perhaps it's a matter of expedience and you need help meeting a deadline. Thankfully, there's a company that caters to your needs, TableLegs.com. These guys offer a wide variety of project parts and much more than just table legs. How about custom panels, columns, architectural components, finials, stair parts, and even 50 plus furniture feet from four inches to 12 inches high. And of course, they have tons of legs from various turn styles to modern and minimalist metal hairpin styles. They even have a nice selection of that classic cabriole leg. So don't let that one project part keep you from making your next masterpiece. Now, you can get free shipping on orders over $50 by typing in the code WOODTALK into the special instructions box on the online order form or mention WOODTALK when you call to order. I was looking at their site today and they even have an online tool for configuring tabletops. Just input the size, the shape, corner treatment, edge treatment, wood species, and even the finish. How cool is that? And when you order a set of table legs, they come pre-mortised. Now I know many of you don't have lathes, so you might want to look into their custom turnings in styles ranging from colonial to cabriole to mission style to mid-century modern. When you order online at tablelegs.com, your parts will be carefully grain and color matched, sanded smooth and carefully boxed for safe, rapid delivery to your door. And speaking of delivery, don't forget the free shipping offer on your first order of over $50 using the code WOODTALK. All parts feature a 100% money back guarantee. At TableLegs.com, you'll find plenty of free, helpful tips and drawings on the best practices for making furniture with their components. And get this, 95% of what they sell is made right in Vermont in Northeast Kingdom by their staff of 30 people. Check out TableLegs.com and remember to use that code WOODTALK for free shipping on orders over $50. That's TableLegs.com. Alright, we got one more question and this is sort of uh, almost one of the things we would have done for like a mini single topic episode uh, but it's pretty short so it shouldn't take that long uh, but we're all going to answer with our own opinions here. Jared asked us, uh, well he says, I have an interesting topic that, about what kind of stuff do you use in your wood shop that's not woodworking tools but is still very useful and would never leave your shop. For me, it's the magnet strip above my bench to set my tools on when I'm working. Thanks. Uh so I don't want to steal anyone's thunder on this. Let's uh let me see. Matt, you go first.
3: Uh it's my stereo. It keeps me sane.
2: <laughs> okay. Just uh for just like radio? What do you I mean nothing special. No fancy bluetooth, nope, no, nope, sh- just, no streaming.
3: Nope. Just actually uh plug goes into the uh, headphones of the uh either my uh iPhone or, or my uh iPad and I listen to podcasts or I'll listen to shows or something. I mean, I know that we're probably looking for more like an actual like tool or accessory kind of a thing, but uh, that saved my bacon so many times.
0: Uh, I think that's fair. Shannon, yeah. what about you? I would I would agree with that. Um but since we've already had an electronic uh response, I'll go low tech here and uh to uh quote Douglas Adams, don't forget your towel. Or maybe to quote Tally from South Park. No yeah. uh, um, I have a, just a kind of gnarly old uh, bathroom towel that's hanging on a hook right next to my sharpening bench. Mm. And it's just, you know, I, I used to have paper towels there and I would go through so many paper towels, but... Anytime you, you you work on a stone and then I pull it up and I kind of – there's a bunch of swarf and stuff on it. You need to wipe it off to see the edge. That towel is hanging on the hook and most of the time I don't even take it off the hook. I just kind of pull it up and wipe down the edge. It's also great for actually wiping down the stone and removing swarf and crap and stuff on it before you move on to the next stone or whatever. It's just – it's it's a nasty towel. <laughs> by but now it's, it's pretty right gross there
3: and it's super convenient and it's probably pretty much walk you know, on its own basically at this point is what you're yeah, saying It actually
0: might suffice as sandpaper considering the amount of metal particles and stone swarf thrown in there that I could probably <laughs> use it to sand now too
2: you know that's that's smart thinking you know because there's a couple of things that I'm trying to think about operations I do in the shop that use a lot of paper towels but don't necessarily need to one of those uh, and I don't do it on every project because it doesn't always call for it but when I wipe away glue on a surface that after the glue up, I don't care. Like I'm going to be, you know, planing it or sanding it afterwards. So I don't mind spreading the glue. I use paper towels for that. And if I just used old rags, I could just rinse them when I'm done, hang them over the sink and reuse them later. Like that's a stupidly smart. Does that make sense? Stupidly smart. (laughs) It does to me at least.
3: It does in my world. (laughs) So that doesn't say a lot.
2: It's a super smart thing to do, and saves on, uh, you know, wasting all those shop towels and paper towels. So yeah, you just inspired something, Shannon. Thank you. Hey, I inspired by. There's one. Style. There's one person. Uh, you know, mine was going to be electronic too. Uh, I was going to say my computer, but I'll, 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 I'll say my Bluetooth headset. That little Bluetooth adapter, and I, I did a video on this like two safety days ago. Uh, about this little adapter that just interfaces with anything Bluetooth and typically it's my phone and I listen to Audible and podcasts and that is something that like every single day I'm using in the shop and I'd be lost without it anymore because I've got my hearing protection built in and it allows me... I don't know. I'm I'm one of those multitasking people. I don't like to spend a lot of time doing things that like I could do faster. So like I listen to all my audiobooks and podcasts at like double speed, just because <laughs> yeah. why not? If my brain can take it that fast, then let's let's do this. So because it
0: sounds so slow when you put it at one time. Oh my speed. gosh! It it's does. Like, come now. on,
2: speed it up. I do that with our show sometimes. Just when I give it like a little vanity listen, and I'll go back to one x speed. And I'm like, whoa! How do people <laughs> listen to this? We sound we sound like we're really dumb. Uh, because we just talk so slow, but that's, when you get used well, to it, it's, well, we are well, also done. Let's
0: so. be real. I mean, come on.
2: Well, let's be honest. <laughs> we're not the smartest bunch, but, um. so yeah, so the Bluetooth is absolutely essential. Highly recommend it, and it allows me to get other things done while I'm getting stuff done, which I love.
3: You know, I had a weird thing with uh, some Bluetooth headphones I had gotten for Christmas, and I was wearing them down in my shop, and a. Up- Apparently, the transmitter, maybe receiver for the uh, dust collection, i got the little uh, remote control. Mm-hmm. If I get too close to that, it like completely <laughs> messes with my Bluetooth. Oh, no. That's, really? Yeah, it's really weird. And then it's so only like I'm only like a few feet away from it. But of course, where I have that transmitter is like right in the heart of where I'm doing all my machine work. So oh, it's like, well, yeah,
0: so much for that. <laughs> Uh, It's interesting because I've got the, what is it? The long ranger, I think is what it's called. I bought Mm -hmm. it at Woodcraft. But yeah, mine's way off in the corner behind the desk collector. So I guess it's nowhere near. Interesting. Apparently
3: I am just, well, maybe my shop must just be that small enough for that little area. I wouldn't have thought it would be
2: able to like to be susceptible to that type of interference. But uh,
3: I didn't either. Either that or maybe it turns out that one of my family members is upstairs going, see, dad's right about there.
2: Or maybe, maybe (laughs) what they, maybe what they bought you was like, rf radio frequency headphones and ch- just like put a bluetooth sticker on it
0: <laughs> <laughs> right in, it sure it's bluetooth
2: it. dad go on use <laughs> it he's he's never gonna know yeah, it's that. meanwhile you have to tune it to a radio station to get the anyway
0: uh <laughs> all right i you know we have to quote Sheldon cooper when we say everything's better with
2: bluetooth that's true that's so true Alright well if you want to support the show you can head to woodtalkshow.com look in the side column for the recurring donations and the one time donation links we appreciate your support there head to twwstore.com and get yourself a Wood Talk t-shirt or if you want something very simple you could do for us is to go to iTunes and look us up in the iTunes store click on ratings and reviews and give us a five star rating just like JKN09 did uh, he or she says good woodworking tips mixed with humor ranging from adolescent to dad jokes in other words perfect for me Hey guys, what time did the man go to the dentist?
3: Uh, I don't know. What time? Two thirty? Ah <laughs> and with that That's it. I'm, Ooh. I'm ready that went down for dinner tonight. There you They're go. Love it. <laughs> All
2: right, Matt, how about you give him the contact info and we'll get out of here.
3: All right, so if you haven't run away yet and you're still here to listen to this, uh, well, we have a few different ways that you can comment. Uh, you can leave a comment, question, or suggestion, maybe a different way for me to say these things so that I can say it properly. Uh, there's several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180 email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our wood talk facebook page and if you're looking for the show notes or downloads for today's show or previous episodes you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com
2: very nice all right well have a great woodworking week everybody and we'll catch you next time see See ya. ya subtle results still you
1: but with fewer lines Botox Cosmetic, Ata Botulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and
3: forehead lines look better in adults